Welcome back to the Yeshua Judaism podcast series. As you recall from part one, part two, and part two of part two, we're basically going through a written discussion which can be found on the TorahOfMessiah.org website. In the written content, it's two parts. There's a part one and a part two. And we've been going through part two for the last two podcasts, the reason being it's a fairly long discussion, and I would like to keep the audio under or around 30 minutes, and as it gets beyond 30 minutes, it becomes too long. So I've had to break up part two. So we're now be, we'll now be continuing Yeshua Judaism part two, how it differs from Orthodox or Rabbinic Judaism. And this will be part three of part two in terms of the audio podcast itself. Within this final discussion of part two on the, uh, artic- from the article of Yeshua Judaism, I'm going to start off by discussing some things that will not be found in that written article. And uh, so this will be the only place you'll find them. There, there's, it's some additional information that kind of uh, feeds into the issue of how rabbis within Akiva Judaism misrepresent the New Testament and why they misrepresent the New Testament and things they do not want people to recognize with respect to their true reasons for differing with the New Testament. And it isn't the issue of Yeshua. That's not the primary issue, but that's what they want you to think, and that's what Christianity also wants you to think. I'm going to enter this discussion by first talking briefly about a serious issue, and that issue is how the New Testament is misrepresented, not simply by Christianity, which you'll hear me discuss that often on the podcast, but also by Judaism, particularly by counter-missionaries or anti-missionaries, groups such as Jews for Judaism and other groups who, who strive to basically destroy the any faith that a person could possibly have in the New Testament. And the way they do it is by pounding upon the errors of Christianity, which is very easy to do, and I'll discuss that a little bit later. But when they do that, they neglect to mention that Christianity actually is not presenting accurately and properly what the New Testament truly teaches. It isn't. See, most people think that the division that exists between Judaism and Christianity is over the single issue of Jesus. Christianity doesn't even use his proper name, which is Yeshua, so I'm going to use his proper name, Yeshua. And most people think it's it's over the issue of Yeshua and whether or not he was Messiah. Sadly, a lot of Christians think it's over whether or not he was God. Well, he was not God, and you'll hear that discussed often. But my point here is that most people think it's that, it's that issue. It's the issue of the identity of Messiah. It's the issue of Yeshua, whether or not he was Messiah. And that's what causes all the division. That is not true. And I will get into later within this part the actual critical issue. And I'll just tell you now what it is. It's elitism. If you're a Christian, read your New Testament and pay attention to when elitism is an issue. It happens over and over and over. Also, rabbinic authority. I'll throw this in there and I'll because I'll be discussing in the future. For instance, there is a rabbi who currently I'll 
not give his name, and there are other rabbis who believe this, and they say that he calls him J.C. Penny. J.C. Penny, which of course is Jesus Christ, he says is boiling or immersed in boiling feces in Gehenom or in hell. Basically, that Jesus or Yeshua is immersed in boiling crap in hell. That's what the rabbi teaches. And then you ask, well, why? He gives the reason why. Why is he in hell? He disrespected his rabbis. Now, I hasten to add that I'm sure not all rabbis believe this. Nevertheless, think of that for a moment. Simply for, by, for disrespecting the rabbis, Yeshua is immersed in boiling feces for eternity. He is immersed in a sewer pit, boiling hot forever, because he disrespected the rabbis. This rabbi then goes on to say, when the Torah, the written Torah, when it says you are to respect the Torah of God, according to this rabbi, that means you are to respect the rabbis. Now think about that. That is literally equating rabbis to God. Now that rabbi at least was honest enough to clearly imply it. Yet to be honest, within Akiva Judaism, it is often stated that the teachings of the rabbis are equivalent to those of God, thereby making the rabbis equal to God. Yeshua did disrespect rabbinic authority or the Pharisees in the New Testament. You can see it. And so did his followers. They did not they stood up against the authoritarianism that the Pharisees at that time wished to impose upon them and they're hated for it. So elitism and a failure to bow to the rabbis, those are the true reasons, the two crucial primary reasons why there is division between Christianity today and Judaism. And the rabbis rarely, if ever, discuss that. Okay? I wish Akiva Judaism rabbis would be more forthcoming and honest in distinguishing Christianity from the authentic New Testament teachings of Yeshua Judaism. Akiva Judaism's rabbis are generally highly intelligent. Therefore, I am quite certain that many of them recognize that there are enormous differences between what Christianity teaches and what the New Testament teaches. However, I realize that Christianity's pagan Roman distortions of the New Testament are easy for the rabbis to argue against, whereas the actual teachings of the New Testament are a bit more difficult. Hence, it serves the purposes of Akiva Judaism rabbis if they allow the common misconception to continue, which is that people think Christianity correctly advances the New Testament ideology. That is a misconception. Christianity does not correctly advance New Testament ideology, but it serves the purposes of Akiva Judaism rabbis if people continue to believe that it does. It absolutely does not. New Testament teachings do not equate to Christianity's teachings. So amazingly, irony of ironies, Christianity itself becomes one of the most powerful weapons for Judaism in their anti-missionary and counter-missionary efforts because 
since Christianity is so easy to refute, it makes the job of those counter-missionaries and anti-missionaries exceedingly simple. But the New Testament is different. That's why they must equate, the counter-missionaries must equate in the minds of their listeners, the New Testament with Christianity. If that's not done, if the New Testament is actually seen as the Torah-focused book that it is, the job of countermissionaries becomes much more complex and difficult. Okay, a quick reminder. Yeshua Judaism and Akiva Judaism agree on the overwhelming majority of topics. The list which we went through, though it may seem significant, actually centers around a single dominant issue. True monotheistic worship of the one and only God, acknowledgement that there is nothing but God, and that He is the only true reality, embrace of both written and oral Torah, and most other issues are shared by both faiths, by both Yeshua Judaism and Akiva Judaism. The few differences are unfortunately divisive. Most significant are the identity of Messiah and the elitism issue. And I'll add to that the divisive issue of rabbinic authoritarianism. Yeshua Judaism is firmly pro-Torah. It is not Christianity. All right. All but one difference. I gave 16 itemized differences between Yeshua Judaism and Akiva Judaism. And as I mentioned early on, there was overlap of necessity to try to clarify more uh, distinctly what those differences are. But all but one difference center around a single dominant issue. As I said, I realize there was significant overlap in the list, but it was done to clearly illustrate the primary issue. All but one issue, that is the identity of Messiah, are the rephrasing of a single basic point, and is all, in my opinion, that exists or is implied within the New Testament, which separates the Yeshua-based faith from the modern-day standard Rabbi Akiva-based faith of Judaism. It can all be summed up and stated simply that Yeshua Judaism teaches God is impartial, while Akiva Judaism firmly rejects that idea. The entire schism between Yeshua Judaism and Akiva Judaism revolves around the God is impartial issue. Yeshua Judaism accepts and promotes it. Akiva Judaism rejects and opposes it. Yeshua Judaism is non-elitist, which directly conflicts with Akiva Judaism's profound elitism. Virtually all other distinguishing characteristics derive in one way or another from that singular, crucial issue, elitism. Yeshua Judaism teaches God is equally fair and just to all who seek Him with their whole heart, mind, and soul, and that no one can stand in the way of God's acceptance of an individual. Akiva Judaism doesn't and feels the rabbis largely determine who is acceptable 
and who isn't, as well as who is allowed to receive Torah and who isn't. Unfortunately, over the centuries, in my opinion, Akiva Judaism has become increasingly elitist and exclusive compared to what it was in the first century during the time of Yeshua. All the conflicts recorded in the New Testament between Yeshua and his followers versus their proto-Akiva Judaism Pharisee opponents are not simply still present, but they are much more numerous and extreme. Proto, of course, means precursors or an early primitive form. The conflicts between Yeshua and his followers versus the Pharisees at that time, the proto-Akiva Judaism Pharisees, was bad then. It is far worse now. For one, one reason of which is they changed their religion. The religion of Judaism today is not what it was during the times of the first century, during the times of Yeshua. After the second temple destruction, dramatic changes occurred in Judaism. And Akiva Judaism was formed, and it became a rabbinic dictatorship, and it was a completely different religion. Yes, it had similarities, but Akiva Judaism is not the Judaism that is seen in the New Testament. Sadly, some ill-informed and impulsive people are going in the other direction, away from Yeshua Judaism and into Akiva Judaism, due to their ignorance of many things, and in some cases, perhaps even most cases, because they desire to feed their egos until they burst, since Akiva Judaism is very attractive to egotistical individuals who covet feelings of superiority and elitism. So how does a person gain a deeper understanding of Yeshua Judaism, or one way? In order to properly understand and practice Yeshua Judaism, a person must study and develop knowledge of the Torah-based faith that existed then and now. Most of what Yeshua and his followers believed and practiced was, for them, a given, a common-sense cultural norm. Those norms, those Torah basics, are largely absent from the New Testament, not because they were not considered applicable or important, but because the New Testament authors thought that there was no reason to spend time discussing what everyone already knew. Tragically, however, Christianity, particularly since the 4th century CE, discarded and condemned and redefined the faith, the New Testament faith, without Torah. Indeed, it opposes the Torah that the original followers took for granted as being an absolutely essential part of the Yeshua Judaism New Testament faith. 4,000 years of Torah understanding and practice were trashed by the apostate Roman-based Christian faith. Because of that, we must now swim through the sea of what Christianity considers trash in order to discover the true Christian faith, Yeshua Judaism. Thankfully, that which is trash to Christianity is golden diamonds to Akiva Judaism. 
Therefore, irony of ironies, to discover the true faith of an in Yeshua, we must study Akiva Judaism's oral Torah while being keenly aware of the major differences noted previously. That is why I often sound like a broken record talking to people as I constantly advance the crucial need to study oral Torah. For reasons I discuss in a separate discussion on the website in which, God willing, I will put in podcast form. Most of that oral Torah was largely accepted by Yeshua and his followers, by the New Testament authors. In fact, to those of us who have studied oral Torah extensively, the New Testament is basically just Yeshua Judaism oral Torah concepts, most of which, the overwhelming number of which, agree with Akiva Judaism's. And those concepts were being written down in the historical record and the epistles of the New Testament. Now, with the caveat of that excludes the Durabanams, the rabbinic dictates, that's a whole nother matter. I hasten to add, however, that the oral Torah of Akiva Judaism, despite what they say, is not infallible. Discernment must be practiced when it is studied. As I state elsewhere on this website, or on the Torah Messiah website, oral Torah is like a gold mine. It truly is. It's a gold mine. However, when mining for gold, even in the most productive of mines, a lot, in fact most, of what comes out of the mine is worthless rock and dirt, which must be discarded while searching for the precious metal. Christian, please start mining for Torah gold while taking care not to hold on to the worthless rocks and dirt. So what's the best source for understanding the distinctions we covered earlier? The best source for which to distinguish Akiva Judaism and Yeshua Judaism also makes it, frankly, very easy to do. The New Testament. For instance, the book of Acts, and I really believe Acts to be perhaps the most important book in the New Testament. I know people will disagree with me. Acts is a very important part of the New Testament. The book of Acts provides an easily followed chronology of the purest, the most pristine historic faith practices of the very first followers of Yeshua. It also shows them settling into the Yeshua Judaism norm. But more to the point, it records the disputes with proto-Akiva Judaism Pharisees as well as endless harassment from those same Pharisees. Truly endless, since it continues even to this very day. Akiva Judaism's rabbis today often complain about the harsh attacks suffered from Yeshua and his followers as part of the rabbis' dishonest propaganda campaign to portray the New Testament as being anti-Jewish. Not surprisingly, however, is how they never mention their own attacks or the attacks and harassment within the New Testament from their forefathers against Yeshua and his followers which now cause and then caused the conflicts about which they complain. And, of course, they also ignore the harsh Berkat Hamanim curse 
which they added to the Shemene Israel prayer. Every single example within the New Testament of conflict caused by opposing Pharisees is still seen today within Akiva Judaism. And of course, the just-mentioned hateful, shameless, baseless hatred curse that early Akiva Judaism's creators and leaders added to the Shemene Israel prayer can still be seen today in any Siddur or Judaism prayer book. The pattern of Akiva Judaism's current rabbis perpetual whining and complaining about so-called harshness within the New Testament represents one example of many which exposes the blatant and grotesque double standard practiced by those rabbis. And I will have further discussion about the double standards that the rabbis of Akiva Judaism practice, and there are a lot of them. Okay. So what is a primary issue we see Yeshua and his followers fighting against within the New Testament? Answer, elitism. The anger among some Pharisees who were proto-Akiva Judaism adherents and who despised the God-is-impartial message of Yeshua Judaism. The zeal of the Apostle Shaul, or Paul, was largely focused on combating elitism and the partiality of God beliefs among the Pharisees, which opposed him. He knew what they believed and practiced, as good or better than anyone, since he studied under the guidance of the greatest rabbi of his age, Rabbi Gamliel the Elder, or Gamliel I, a man Akiva Judaism lists among those through whom all oral Torah was allegedly transferred. Therefore, Paul was well-versed in all aspects of oral Torah of his time and was a Torah sage himself. Gamaliel's grandson, Gamaliel II, was the chief rabbi during the early Yavne formation days of Akiva Judaism. He was also the one who supposedly authorized that the curse against Yeshua's followers be added to the Amidah prayer. Although one source I saw suggested it may have been Gamaliel I or Gamaliel the Elder. It is obvious that the curse was against Yeshua's followers since it was done during a time when those followers were flocking to the synagogues and enraging the Akiva Judaism rabbis. They, the Akiva Judaism rabbis at that time felt very threatened by the numbers of Yeshua Judaism adherents. You'll have some rabbis deny that, but other, other rabbis openly admit it. The numbers of Yeshua Judaism's followers was a threat to Akiva Judaism, despite the denials of some Akiva Judaism rabbis. Though, as I said, some rabbis admit there were a lot of them. The curse that was added to the Shimonai Israel or Amidah prayer was a means to drive them from the synagogues, which it succeeded in doing. Anyone who claims it wasn't against Yeshua's followers is either lying, ignorant, or being deceived. It is an obvious and clear fact of history. Now, a quick bit bit of info. 
There are some people today who dishonestly attempt to argue that the Burkhat Hamanim curse found within the daily Amidah prayer and virtually any Jewish Siddur was not targeting early followers of Yeshua. Now, though versions of it definitely appear to predate its use against Yeshua Judaism, the fact that it was officially added to synagogue liturgy in the late 1st or early 2nd century for that very purpose, that is to curse Yeshua Judaism followers, is beyond dispute. I will clarify the history of the Burkhat Hamanim curse in a separate discussion using numerous unimpeachable sources. These days, unfortunately, the problem is that some alleged followers of Yeshua are wanting to return to what the Apostle Paul left and taught against. They are becoming like the proto-Akiva Judaism elites and often even unapologetically recite the Burkhat Hamanim curse of the Amidah prayer themselves. A common tendency of such misguided people is total or substantial rejection of the Apostle Paul's teachings. No surprise there. From the very first moments of Yeshua's ministry, his mikvah or baptism by Yochanan or John, elitism was a central issue as we see John rebuking some arrogant elitist Pharisees who came to him to be baptized. Now, I hasten to add, not all Pharisees were like that. Do not make the mistake of stereotyping them. Okay, people, this is actually really easy stuff. If you simply study the New Testament and its stance against proto-Akiva Judaism, you will understand the exact same problems and debates back then are present today for the exact same reasons. They truly are identical issues. Only now they are worse. But don't make this more difficult than it needs to be. The New Testament's descriptions and suggestions of problems within Pharisaic Judaism then are still the problems within Akiva Judaism today. My studies have proven that conclusively. By the way, that is also the reason Akiva Judaism so viciously hates the New Testament and deceitfully battles against it. So now you have a basic understanding of what defines Yeshua Judaism, and thus an accompanying basic understanding of what the New Testament actually teaches. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.